the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Good morning, church. How's everyone doing? Good. Awesome. Now, I assume the PowerPoint's all good. IT team at the back, thank you. Awesome. So, quick quiz for the start of this message while everyone's brains are relatively fresh. Who knows who this man was? Galileo, that's one. Yeah. Anyone, any other suggestions? No, don't even know who that is. <laughs> no, good guess. This, excuse my horrible French accent, is Michael de Nostradamus, commonly known as Nostradamus. Yes, so he lived in the 1600s and he was quite a few things, mainly being an uh, astrologer, he was also a doctor, but most famously people credit him with being able to predict the future. So uh, he wrote one book in particular, it's called, again, Le, Le Prophecy, yep. <laughs> I've got a theory that French doesn't actually really exist as a language. It's, it's just English words spoken in a, like a um, preposterous French accent. So there's a life hack for you <laughs> if you want to speak French. Canadians. Except for Canadians, yeah. <laughs> so this was a collection of prophetic poems. And they said all kinds of wild things like this. The blood of the just will commit a fault at London. Burnt through lightning of 23's the 6. So people have taken that and said, well, okay, 20 times 3 is 60. Add 6, you get 66. The Great Fire of London was in 1666. Ah, okay. Yeah, exactly, nailed it. He also wrote, from the depths of the west of Europe, a young child will be born of poor people. And what will this child do? He will, by his tongue, seduce a great troop or army, and his fame will be spread far beyond Europe. So, yes, he also spoke in this poem about fighting close by the Hista. Uh, now, the Hista is a river that Hitler was apparently born close to. It's not, though, just bearded old Frenchmen that are getting in on the predictions game. Does anybody remember this eight-limbed creature? <laughs> yes. Special points if you can guess the name. Does anybody know? Oh, I know it's harder. His name's Paul. Paul the Octopus. Yes, so Paul got a lot of attention in 2010 because apparently he was able to predict the outcome of football matches. So Paul's keeper would present him with two boxes, which you see there. Um, they would both have the same food and the same amount of food in them. And Paul, and they would be decorated with the teams, and Paul would go up and whatever one he ate out of first was considered his prediction for which team would win. I know, right? So he correctly chose uh, in, all, in order all seven of Germany's matches in the 2010 World Cup, and he also he also chose rightly a Germany's third place playoff over Uruguay, which apparently was a big deal. <laughs> if you care, he also correctly chose Spain as the two, winner of the 2010 FIFA World Cup final. Now. I myself actually have a friend. He's a good friend, an old friend. I asked his permission if I could talk about him. He's, um, he's someone who, uh, looking back, 
was always ahead of the curve. Uh, for example, um, he was doing amazing things on scooters, tricks on scooters, many years before skate parks become flooded with them. He would talk about bands that later on blew up and became really popular. Even the way he dressed was ahead of his time. And he was actually named after someone in the Bible, and I bet you can probably guess which one. Paul? <laughs> Jeremiah? I mean, that's Joseph, no? Isaiah. <laughs> yeah, because it's Isaiah that we're actually going to be talking about this morning in our focus verse. Our focus verse is Isaiah 9, 6. It reads this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Mm. So for some context, um, Isaiah is a prophet in the Old Testament. Uh, it's a book found between Song of Songs and Jeremiah. It's quite a decent-sized book, and obviously a prophet being someone who speaks on behalf of God by divine inspiration. So in, in chapter 9 in particular, Isaiah is speaking to the southern kingdom of Israel called Judah. So Israel gets split, has two kings, one for the north, one for the south. And this northern kingdom has, has allied with Syria. And they're trying to pressure the southern kingdom of Judah to, to, to join them, to form an alliance so that they can fight um, a nation called the Assyrians. And the king of Judah is afraid of Assyria. And with good reason, like we've spoken about them here before, that had to do with Noah, uh, not Noah, Jonah. The Assyrians are incredibly powerful, they're ruthless, and Ahaz, the king of Judah, he decides, I'm going to send a whole lot of my treasure to the Assyrians to, uh, to try and bribe them into leaving us alone. So it's been said that, that the prophet Isaiah is speaking into a situation where Judah felt particularly powerless. And, uh, and they're not only afraid of Assyria, but they're actually afraid of the northern kingdom of Israel as well, and of the Syrians. So this would have been a time for Judah when they were, you know, uh, all their enemies seemed to be strong and powerful and surrounding them. And yeah, I, I read into that. And I think it's probably, probably not a big stretch to, to know that they were feeling uh, helpless. And they probably were wondering, where is God in all of this? Now, Isaiah actually prophesies that Judah will be defeated. <laughs> um, he prophesies they're going to get exiled from their land, but he also prophesies that they're going to return. But in all these prophecies, Isaiah includes this prophetic visions of a child. One in the verse we've already spoken about, Isaiah 9, 6, but also in Isaiah 14, Isaiah 7, 14, sorry, it says, Therefore the Lord will give you a sign, and uh, behold, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And I assume we all know what Emmanuel means, God with us. So rather than abandon Israel, God has promised to one day walk amongst them. And in the following verse, God explains that before this child grows up, their current enemies, so the nations of Assyria and, even, and, and also Syria, will be gone. So the prophet Isaiah actually makes many predictions about this uh, coming child, this coming king. And the book of Isaiah is often said to be uh, referred to as the fifth gospel. Now, obviously, the crazy thing is that Isaiah wrote all these prophecies hundreds of years before this child arrived. So was this prophet Isaiah divinely inspired, or was he just like Mr. Nostradamus or Paul the Octopus? 
someone with a knack of being ahead of the curve. Now, does anybody here like uh, statistics and probability? Well, this might be a rough sermon for you guys. I do, all right? <laughs> I do. From memory, it's actually one of the only excellences I got in my second year of NCEA, despite my maths teacher saying that statistics is not real math. My aforementioned friend, Isaiah, and I, uh, used to really enjoy um, probability. We used to try and um, use it to predict uh, what a little white ball um, would fall into on a roulette wheel, or uh, peeking at a, um, a poker, five-card draw, trying to, trying to see that elusive raw flush staring back at us. Um, oh yeah, that was, that was a season. <laughs> when it comes uh, to the Bible, though, there are actually, according to me, some fascinating prophecies, obviously about Jesus, his birth, his ministry, and his death. And many of those are found in the book of Isaiah. And prophecies can be studied, and according to some, prophecies can be calculated. So, for example, our friend Paul the Octopus, well, if we go back one, sorry, back to Paul the Octopus, yes, thank you. Example, our friend Paul the Octopus chose the correct outcomes of eight football games in a row. So, what do you think the chances are of that happening? Say, if we left it up to the toss of a coin. You'd have to be pretty good at maths to work it out in your head right now. It's one in 256. Yeah, one in 256. Did you say that? Almost. Oh, well, you were one off. You were almost right. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's not bad, really. For a creature that's normally on a menu, it's pretty good. But it's not exactly amazing. So what about Mr. Nostradamus? What are the chances that he just happened to accidentally predict something like the Great Fire of London or the rise of Hitler in Europe? I'll be honest, it was quite hard to track down the exact math, and I tried very hard, particularly because Nostradamus made so many vague predictions about the future, almost a thousand in total. But from what I could read, according to the vague nature of his poems, it would have been likely in the hundreds of thousands to one. So let's be conservative and give him some credit and say it was a million to one. Now, hitting a million to one chance sounds pretty impressive, right? And it kind of is considering that the United States National Weather Service suggests that your average American has a chance of uh, 1 in 15,000 of getting struck by lightning in their lifetime. So 1 by 15,000 compared to 1 in a million is, you know, is quite a lot more likely. But further than that, in our, in our lifetime you get some truly staggering chance events happening, like last month, I don't know if you heard about this, US Powerball had the biggest lotto jackpot giveaway in history. Does anyone like to take a stab at how much money got given away to one person? It was too much, you're right. <laughs> it was over two billion, just over two billion. And at the end of the time, after they paid tax, they had 638 million left. That's a lot of tax, <laughs> anyway. True, yeah, 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 yep, okay. I know, it's a lot of money, it's a ridiculous amount of money. But the odds of winning that much money 1 to 292,200,000 to 1. That was the odds of someone winning that. And it happened. But then we come to biblical prophecy. For example, Isaiah the prophet looks to have made 41 detailed prophecies, very detailed prophecies, about the first coming of the Messiah and another 81 about the second coming of Christ. 
Now, thankfully, the maths for this was relatively easy to find because a professor of mathematics uh, in the United States uh, did the calculations and wrote a book called Science Speaks, uh, where he detailed his calculations of biblical prophecy. His name was Peter Stoner. I don't have uh, a picture of him. He actually enlisted, I don't know how ethical this was, but he enlisted 12 of his classes, uh, nearly 600 students, to carry out many tireless hours of calculations and Bible study work to figure out what he would consider the probabilities around all these prophecies. So that work was all checked. It was peer-reviewed by the American Scientific Affiliation, who said, and I quote, the manuscript that has been carefully reviewed by the committee of his organization, and that, oh, sorry, this is the head of that affiliation talking about Peter Stoner's work. He said that that manuscript has been carefully reviewed by a committee of his organization and that the mathematical analysis included is based upon the principles of prob uh, probability which are thoroughly sound and that Professor Stoner has applied those principles in a proper and convincing way. So apparently Peter also made sure that all his margins were calculated to satisfy even the most skeptical of his students. So I'm just throwing it out there that that's kind of the basis of where this came from. He came up with the following calculation to analyze Jesus fulfilling just eight of the prophecies regarding his birth, ministry, and death by accident. So these are prophecies found in Isaiah, but also in the books of Micah, Malachi, Zechariah, and Psalms. I was going to ask what that number is, but you're probably going to guess what it is. It's the number on top. I think it's quadrillion when you start to get up to that. 100,000 million billion, trillion, quadrillion? Yes, I'm going to go with that. Now that's a big number, obviously. You can actually see it in relation to the one underneath, it's the lotto win, the one underneath, that's Nostradamus, then we've got being struck by lightning, and then we've got Mr. Paul the octopus at the bottom. It is a big number. Peter Stoner actually put an illustration together to try and explain that number. I've kind of adjusted it for a more Kiwiized version. So it's Imagine a section of land the size of the whole of New Zealand, so North Island, South Island, Stewart Island. Now imagine you take that number, that top one that I can't even say, uh, and imagine you turn that into 50 cent pieces. You cover that whole area in 50 cent pieces. They would be one and a half meters deep. Then you blindfold someone. You mark one of those coins with an X. You put it in one of those, mix it all up. You set that person free in that sea of coins and you say, pick the first one up. The chance of them picking up that piece with the mark on it is that number. So absolutely wild. And you may be thinking, okay, yes, that's incredibly improbable that they would pick up the right coin. And it is. But it's not technically impossible. And yes, you would be right. Which is why Peter Stoner actually took it a step further. And he said, right, I'm going to calculate the probability of Jesus fulfilling 48 of these prophecies. And that figure... And that number is 10 to the power of 157, which looks like that. Yeah, it took even a long time to type out. And I lost count. <laughs> now, did I miss one? <laughs> You're a quick counter. Now, just a heads up. That was, and I, sorry, I wrote it wrong up the top. I missed the four. That is 48 prophecies concerning Jesus. Jesus fulfilled over 100 prophecies just in his coming. So that number's not even right. That number's not even close. 
So, and these are things that are completely out of people's control. Like a lot of people when they read a study thought, oh, well, you know, if Jesus knew the prophecies, he could try and manipulate some of it and kind of wedge his way in to kind of be there and be in the right place. And for a couple of them, maybe you could say that, but I mean, these are prophecies like where you're going to be born. Who, who's got control over that? Or who your parents were, you know, or, um, or who's going to betray you or how you're going to die or how you're going to be buried. So, yeah, like I said, even that crazy number up there doesn't actually bring it close to the chance of all this being an accident. So when I look at the titles of Jesus back in Isaiah 9, verse 6, one of them is the title of Wonderful. And the Hebrew word used is palah, which means marvelous, extraordinary, difficult to understand, and difficult to do. So David says in Psalm 40 verse 5, Many, O Lord my God, are thy wondrous works, wonderful works, sorry, which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I were to declare and speak of them, then they are more than can be numbered. So when I look back at that number, that ridiculously huge number, I think the terms marvellous, extraordinary, difficult to understand and difficult to do fit quite well in that context of wonderful. <laughs> and I'm sure that that's what this kingdom of Judah was after. When they were staring down all those enemies, they were after a good old-fashioned miracle, something outside of their control. So, speaking of these titles that are attributed to Jesus, we've got another title in there, the second title, and that title is Counselor. So the Hebrew word being ya'atz, meaning to advise, consult, give counsel, purpose, devise, and plan. So, going back to that big number, are we capable of planning down to that kind of detail? <laughs> Sometimes I think my wife gets close. Is, <laughs> is all counsel good counsel? All advice good advice? No, of course not. In fact, the kingdom of Judah had been getting caught up in Eastern religion, it even says that, Eastern religion. In Isaiah 2.6, the Lord chastises them. He tells them off because they'd been seeking the advice of soothsayers. They were people who were supposed to be able to foresee the future, just like their neighbours, the Philistines, have been doing. And Judah had also had the northern kingdom of Israel and Syria trying to give them advice about being in an alliance. But Proverbs warns us in 1921, there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. So in this next title, we're given yet another reason why we should listen to the counsel given by this extraordinary child, because this child is also called the mighty God. You see, the kingdom of Judah in that time was actually quite prosperous. Um, they had money and uh, resources, and they trusted in it. And how... Could I assume that? Well, because when push came to shove, and instead of trusting God, they tried to buy their way out of their problems. They thought, we'll send all this treasure to the Assyrians, and that'll get us out of this. That'll buy us peace. So, on another thought, hopefully it's related, <laughs> I got talking to this relatively young, he was the same age as me, okay, relatively young, yep, young guy on the street a couple of days ago, seemed very sincere, I was on my way up to the warehouse, and he was there selling books, who told me that Jesus was a great man. He said Jesus was an enlightened being, a guru of all sorts, um, someone who probably traveled to India 
in those lost years, lost years between 12 and 33, and gain some kind of spiritual insight. Now, I won't go into my response now, but I've come to notice how quickly and how often Jesus' identity is being attacked these days. And it's been attacked from the very beginning of his ministry. What did Satan say to Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew 4? If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee. What did he mean, if? <laughs> See, Satan knew exactly who Jesus was. And the devils did too. They just weren't so discreet about it. Satan's always going to try and bring a uh, question to Jesus' true identity. And FYI, he's going to try and bring question to our true identity in Jesus as well. Just thought I'd mention that as something came up. I believe the next title actually drives the point home even further. It's called The Everlasting Father. Jesus said in John 10.30, I and my Father are one. And um, what did those listening do in response? Yeah, they say, oh, that's an interesting idea. We'll have to get back to you on that one after we've had a think about it. No, they picked up stones right then and there to stone him to death. And why? Well, because verse 33 explains, the Jews answered him saying, for good works we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. Because that thou being a man makest them thyself God. So people say, and this is what this man said to me as well on the street, he said, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, okay, that's one example. For there he claimed it so convincingly that he almost got stoned to death for it. See, those Jews listening knew exactly what Jesus was saying, and they weren't happy about it. And the last title that's listed in this verse is Prince of Peace. The Hebrew word for peace being the well-known Shalom. We've even got someone in the... It's you, isn't it? That's got the number plate. Great number plate. Biblical usage includes the ideas of tranquility, contentment, safety, rest, and wellness. Maybe I think it's just the time of the year because I'm a little worn out and keen for a break. So when I read those words, it's like I'm desperate for them just to kind of wash over me. <laughs> tranquility, contentment, safety, rest, and wellness. Bring it on. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Prince of Peace. I think it's not too far of a stretch to assume that the kingdom of Judah was also keen for this safety, peace, and rest in their situation too. Now hopefully, Lord willing, you've already taken something from this already, but I felt like it's been a while since I tried a good old-fashioned Baptist three-point summary. So I'm going to give it a go now. I don't even have, I don't have it on the slides, but when I prayed about the things that I, I thought to get out of it, the first thing I got out of it is, I think... We need to reflect on the wonder of it all. You know, you, we see those numbers and all that kind of stuff, and, and we know that, they, in fact, they don't even count. And the fact, in all honesty, those numbers don't even matter because he actually went outside of those numbers. He did stuff that you can't, just can't even do anyway. Virgin births and rising from the dead. So he actually went even further than that. And I think it's easy in this season to just yeah, get a little bit caught up being like, okay, I've been there, done that, heard it all before. So, yeah, my, my encouragement for myself is to reflect, sit, and meditate on actually how wonderful it all is. Second one, Jesus' identity. Like I said, this is something that kind of kept on coming up, that yeah, we need to be uncompromising in who Jesus is. I think, yeah, we can be a little bit 
tempted sometimes to kind of side by people that yeah he was a great man and a guru and whatever you know a long-haired guy that wore jandals and liked to help people kind of yeah that's that's not who Jesus truly is and it's I know that's not a what the world wants to hear the world wants to hear that we're all kind of one and that you know we can all kind of get along and Jesus you can kind of wedge him in that it doesn't work like that Jesus is a take it or leave it in terms of who he is and and yeah and what he's coming back for Speaking of statistics, I read uh, a study that said a thousand kids in the UK were surveyed from the age of five to 12 on who is Jesus. Uh, 25% of them thought he was a Chelsea football player. 35% thought that he was born in the South Pole. 52% thought that 25th of December is Santa's birthday. So yeah, it's... (laughs) There's, there's, this, there's this lack of who Jesus truly is. And the third one I'm going to say, I believe that came up for me, was the soundness and the reliability of the Word of God. So by some counts, a quarter of biblical, a quarter of scripture is prophetic language. And Isaiah 9-6 is special, like all scripture is, but it contains prophecy that's being fulfilled, and it also contains prophecy that's yet to be fulfilled. So if we look back at chapter 6 for a bit, notice the phrase, the government is upon his shoulder. And verse 7 actually goes on to say, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So when we look around, do we see much peace, (laughs) much judgment? And when I'm talking about judgment, I'm talking about fair judgment, lawful judgment, not kind of kangaroo court stuff like we see these days, like modern witch trials. What about justice? Are we seeing much justice? I think it's safe to say that that prophecy hasn't been fulfilled, that that kingdom is is yet to come in its fullness. Mankind loves to try and know what's around the corner, don't we? We love to be ahead of the curve. We don't want to be left behind. Mr. Nostradamus has been the subject of hundreds of books. His life's been depicted in several films and videos, both fiction and non-fiction. And his, li- his life and his writings continue to be the subject of media interest even today. There's a whole lot of prophecies. People are digging into his prophecies for next year. Paul the octopus didn't last that long, but he gave way to numerous other animals that are still being chosen to try and predict the outcomes of games even to this day. The current Football World Cup that's happening right now had two giant pandas, otters, cats and a camel predicting the games. They were all hopeless. (laughs) Bring back the octopus. (laughs) A friend reminded me recently that one of the main reasons we want to predict the future is so we can control it. I've had a bit of a season recently. of listening to uh, political podcasts, particularly regarding situations unfolding in the States, but also all over the world. And boy, does it get me fired up. I think it's easy to start buying into ideas that if only we could get these people voted out and these people voted in, if only we could get enough money for these lawyers to go and sue these people, then everything would get back to normal. Now, I'm not yeah, I think, I think it's tempting that we fight fire with fire, and I'm not saying that Christians shouldn't vote, that Christians shouldn't write in to places. That was excellent. But no amount of legislation or de-legislation is going to deal with the problem at heart, because the problem is the heart. So I think, yeah, for myself and wanting to control that 
and bring that government of peace now, <laughs> I forget that that's, that's actually Jesus' role. And we're going to really struggle to do that. But we obviously have a part to play. I think at times we can be a little bit too keen to, be, to try and beat the adversary at his own game, to be like Judah and kind of rely on the soothsayers of our neighbours and, and rely on our wealth or our worldly allies. But Paul said in 2 Corinthians that, that our weapons are not carnal. They're not worldly, um, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So, so we're after spiritual strongholds. That's what we're after, not physical ones, because I think physical ones come once you pull down the spiritual ones. And we attack those through, and I know it's super cliche, but it's like I felt to say this again, it's like we attack those through prayer, fasting, and meditating on his word. That's how those spiritual strongholds get attacked. And I'll admit it um, through this, I'll admit it. Even, even when talking to this guy, sometimes I've been ashamed of this book. I've been embarrassed that others might think I'm crazy for what they would call fairy tales. But what I've been so encouraged at in preparing this message is that I'm again reminded that it just can't be the works of man. It's, it's got too many divine fingerprints all over it. It's just the numbers are too big. It's too out of this world. And, and the more we read it and meditate on it, the more that becomes evident. Like, it, it can stand up for itself. Like, it, it crushes everything. <laughs> I'm trying not to say that out of arrogance to, to, to other beliefs and other nations, but that's why it's called a two-edged sword. Like, it, it cuts. And it, it cuts people to the core. It cuts hearts to the core. And, um, yeah, my, my prayer is that it would do that to us first, that we would be the ones cut to the core. Yeah. So... In closing, we serve a God that can make even the seemingly impossible possible. A God that operates in the most minute details. And if he said that Jesus is coming back soon to reign and that his kingdom will be one of peace that knows no end, then that's something we can confidently bet on. So I'm going to close in prayer and then hand back to the worship team. Heavenly Father, thank you that you gave your only son, Jesus, to... Um, to be a sacrifice for, for our sins and, and thank you that you, you moved heaven and earth to do that. Uh, something that we couldn't even possibly hope to imagine, Lord God, or, or achieve, you did. So I pray that as we go out this week that we would be taken up in the wonder of what you've done. Uh, that we, we would be uh, emboldened uh, to speak to those about your true identity, Jesus and that we would seek comfort in your word and, and what it has uh, for us right now and what it's uh, predicting we're going to have in the future. Peace in your glorious kingdom, Jesus. So all this we ask in your holy and precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.